Our opening psalm this morning is Psalm 130, still working our way through the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, Psalm 130 says, Out of the depths I called to you, Lord. Listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. I wait and I put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for there is faithful love with the Lord, and with him is redemption in abundance. And he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Beautiful psalm, and you can imagine, you know, the, kind of that pilgrimage type of a theme really fitting in there. Just that I'm, I'm weary of the life of this world, I'm looking forward to something else. I also, you know, this one really makes it clear the, the theme on forgiveness of sins. You know, a lot of times people will, will say, yeah, yeah, the whole forgiveness of, you know, that emphasis is not really where the emphasis belongs. But you can see that, you know, for, for the psalmist here, that's very much where his attention is and what, what his heart is focused on as he's dealing with, with God in this, uh, in this psalm. So, uh, as we get started, was there anything from last week that kind of stuck in your head that uh, it was important that we should <laughs> uh, remember uh, this week or something that was important to you and helpful to you? Uh, Ishmael means God hears. Yeah. Yeah. And Elroy means God sees. Elroy. Elroy. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, and I think that that's neat the way that plays out. That when Hagar was pregnant, um, she runs away, you know, because of of Sarah's mistreatment, and uh, you know, and God makes some promises to her. You know, and part of it is, you know, you're going to have a son. Name him Ishmael. And and within that, uh, maybe you've heard of the Shema. Uh, you know, Shema Israel. Um, so Ishmael, you know, literally would be God hears. It's a sentence, actually. Um, and, and that sense of, you know, your son is going to be somebody that God hears. And then um, a little bit later in that same account, he, she um, names God uh, El-Roi, the God who sees so you have hearing and you have seeing. And then later when uh, Hagar and Ishmael are driven away, those same themes come up. That God sees and he hears. And those are important themes for our lives as well as we interact with God. Um, anything else? All right. Then we're going to uh, kind of pick up where we were talking about last week. This idea of, I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. Um, and, uh, and, and kind of dig into that a little bit more. Um, this, this uncomfortable word about God loving and hating. Now, this little phrase, it comes to us out of Malachi uh, chapter 1. And he's talking about uh, the salvation of Israel, choosing Israel as his people. And Malachi 1, 2, and 3 says, Wasn't Esau Jacob's brother? This was the Lord's declaration. Even so, I love Jacob, but I hated Esau. And uh, 
the, uh, the commentary that I'm reading, it, it takes issue with the translation of that word hated as hated. It has to be recognized that that is within the, the range of the word. You know, uh, no doubt about it. And, you know, so, you know, don't think that, you know, well, they translated it wrong or, or, or something like that. Um, but what does it mean uh, if you hate somebody? Um, and uh, the, in English, those words have, have kind of become opposites. You know, love on the one side and hate on the other. Although, like I said last week, I think that the opposite of love might be neglect or apathy. You know, just there's no feeling. Uh, at, at least, you know, if you hate somebody, there's, there's something there between you. Um, uh, but uh, this word uh, love in the Old Testament that it, it, where it talks about uh, loving Jacob, it's not, it's not love like um, a parent would usually love a child. That word in Greek is storge. Uh, the word that's used here is the word agape, which I saw the eyebrows go up. That should be a familiar word among us Christians because that's the word for love all through the New Testament. And agape is a very specific kind of love. And it is the, the love of God that desires his good and his best uh, for people. You know, so, I mean... I, there are like seven words for love in Greek. You know, we usually focus on, on four of them. Um, and uh, and this, is, this is a very peculiar kind of love that, that is, is spoken of here. And the word hate, then, is uh, perhaps better translated in this context as spurned. And uh, I started to make a, a, a partial case for that anyhow. Um, before we were rudely interrupted by a fire alarm, which was planned and I was supposed to announce, but you guys did wonderfully, even though I didn't say anything about it. Um, it was in the bulletin. It was in the bulletin. <laughs> and to, to be told, I announced it the week before, and uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, so the, the idea of, of spurning rather than hating, I started to dig into the relationship of Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. And uh, um, if you remember the, the, the account from Genesis 20, 29 through there, um, you know, Jacob very much was smitten with Rachel, right? Just kind of remind ourselves of the story. He agrees with his uncle Laban uh, to uh, work for seven years in order to marry Rachel. And uh, um, the wedding night comes and the ceremony happens and Jacob wakes up the next morning, the proud husband of Leah. Her dad had swapped them. And uh, I don't know, I, I, the whole relationship thing, you know, in families and uh, the role of uh, fathers and husbands with, you know, wives and daughters, there are some things that we definitely would look at that and say, that is just weird and gross. Um, but uh, um, remember that the Bible isn't endorsing this behavior. It is just reflecting what took place. You know, so even the polygamy, it's not saying that this is good, right, salutary, but it's saying 
people do these things. And so how do we live in relationship to that? Yeah. It just bothers me that there are, there are other things that are in the Bible that aren't so icky and gross, but are definitely not part of our doctrine. Mm -hmm. And people, I mean, some of the things in obedience and how the household is ordered, and people tend often to say, well, but it's, it's in the Bible. It's that way. And being in the Bible doesn't mean it's right. Yeah, I mean, you, gotta, you have to discern what you're reading, right? Yeah. Are, are you reading yeah. something that is um, teaching us that this is the way that you know, life is supposed to work? <laughs> or is it just reflecting right. you know, yeah. what's going on among sinful people yeah. that God came to redeem? I, I guess the, the yeah, one that always stands out for me is in the Sodom and Gomorrah thing when the, they're trying to rape some man. Mm -hmm. And this guy says, don't worry, I'll give you my daughter instead. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. No, that's a truly horrifying scene. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. You know, and, uh, you know, and so you walk away with Lot, um, and, uh, um, you know, he's supposed to be like the good guy in the story, yeah. you know, and he isn't. Well, not quite yet. And in fact, it gets worse, right? Yeah. Right. Because they go out into the mountains and, uh, I mean, first his wife looks back and she's turned into a pillar of salt. Yeah. And, uh, and then the daughters are there with dad and everybody's afraid of Lot and his daughters because of what happened there. Mm -hmm. And the daughters ask, how are we going to have children? Yeah, yeah. And they get dad. The thing with Moses as well on those lines. You know, so when we look at that, you know, we're like, mm-mm, no. Yeah. You know, and... and and so when we look at the Bible, who, who is the good guy? God. God. Yeah. Consistently. And, that is, and that's what we're, we're driving yeah. at here in what's going on. Um, and what, as we get into um, more and more about God choosing, mm -hmm. um, these are things that make us really uncomfortable. You know, because we want to have our own um, autonomy and, you know, kind of be the masters of our own destiny and all of these things. And... What Paul is really driving at is, you know, Israel is not Israel. Israel is about, you know, these people who have come to faith. How did they come to faith? Because God called them. You know, and you know, just that, that whole process that I think leads us to a, a great place of humility and a place of receiving rather than, you know, standing over God and over his word. Um, so, um, Jacob loved Rachel. He uh, ends up marrying Leah. And then um, shortly thereafter, after contracting to work for another seven years, um, marries Rachel as well. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I pointed out last week, um, I really don't think that Jacob hated Leah in the sense that, you know, this is a, it, 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 it's a comparative thing. He loved Rachel. And by comparison, the way that, you know, that Leah is in this relationship, she's spurned. And you know, God recognizes that. In, in fact, he uses the same words in, in the Old Testament, love and hate. Um, and, uh, um, but notice that uh, uh, Jacob has six sons with Leah and I believe a daughter too. Um, you know, and uh, so it's not like, you know, that, you know they're, they're not having any kind of a relationship with each other. Mm -hmm. um, there is a, uh, 
an interesting scene in uh, Genesis chapter 30 where uh, one of Leah's sons finds mandrakes. And uh, mandrakes are known for, um, known, put that in scare quotes, you know, um, they're, they're thought to make people, make women uh, fertile. And uh, Rachel hasn't had any children and she wants the mandrakes. So she makes a little trade. You can have Jacob tonight. And Leah wants that. You know, they're, they're, that's part of their, you know. Um, and she, uh, that's when she gets pregnant with Issachar. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, and then there's also the account where uh, Jacob is going to meet Esau after all of these years. And he is terrified that Esau is going to attack his family. And uh, Jacob puts himself in a position between Esau and the family. And yes, he puts Rachel in the safest position, but he moves them away and, and protects his wives and children. You know, so th there, there is something there. So it really is uh, about the comparison um, to highlight God's choosing, that he loved Jacob in the sense that he chose him to carry the promise. He chose that line in order to be the, the one that brings the Savior into the world. But he spurned Esau. You know, nope, Esau is not going to be the one that, that has that gift. Um, and there's some stuff in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 21. Uh, if a man has two wives, um, you know, all, all of that type of stuff. And it, those passages in the Gospels where Jesus talks about, you know, if you don't hate father and mother and wife and children, you know, can't be my disciple. Well, no, Jesus doesn't actually want you to hate your parents. But it's a comparison thing. How do you love? Priorities, that's another good word for it. You know, how much do you love Jesus? You know, and these are things that sometimes converts from you know, other religions know better than we do, who grew up in Christian households. You know, because our parents, at least theoretically, you know, supported us in living in the faith and growing in the faith. Um, but for, uh, for some people, they walk away from their family of origin because of their faith in Jesus. Uh, I've told the story at other times about the um, African girl that went to Concordia, Irvine um, and uh, became a Christian, and her family was into ancestor worship. And when she came home to visit, they literally had uh, a whole ceremony where they sacrificed a goat and all of these things, and it was like a big party, and it was to kick her out of the family. You know, that's the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about. You know, and, uh, you know, and so on. So the, the, the key, I think, for understanding this passage is, is that uh, love and hate, um, these are not God's emotions, you know, towards Jacob and Esau. And it's about a contrast about who receives the promise, who receives the covenant about the coming Messiah uh, in, 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 as a direct descendant. And this love and hate are not about election or predestination because note in Malachi 1, uh, the verbs are in the past tense. Loved past tense. Mm -hmm. um, Jacob hated or spurned, you know, done. Um, and then 
Take a look at the lives of the two that were, you know, quote-unquote, hated or spurned um, of the boys, Ishmael and Esau. They're both rejected regarding being bearers of the promise, uh, and yet they still live under God's merciful care for their whole lives. You know, in Genesis chapter 17, God blesses Ishmael, turns him into a great nation. It talks about, you know, great leaders, princes coming from him and him being a, a you know, a very important person. Uh, so much so that uh, um, in, in Arabia, these, this is our father, Ishmael. You know, they would say that whole nation came from him. And therefore, Abraham is their father as well, um, which is a true statement as far as we can tell. Um, uh, Isaac uh, blesses Esau. You know, he does receive a blessing. It's not the blessing he was hoping to receive or he was expecting to receive, but he still received blessings. Uh, in Genesis chapter 36, uh, we read about Esau's descendants, that they become a great nation, um, a nation called Edom. And uh, as you read through the Old Testament, or, you know, I, had a, I was just listening to an interview with one of my old professors. Um, he did not use this language when I was there, and I wish he had. Uh, but he, he calls what we call the Old Testament the B.C. Scriptures. So it's all sacred scripture, but this is the scripture that's before Christ. I like that nomenclature. I, mean, I try to work that in a little bit more. I don't know if you've noticed I try to avoid using the phrase Old Testament. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's important for us because I think that we're prejudiced against Old Testament. Mm. As if that doesn't matter anymore. It's still scripture. Um, but as you, as you read those, uh, those, those BC scriptures about um, Israel, they still continue to bump into Esau. They bump into Edom all over the place. This country is right there next to them. And there's a lot in the prophets about Edom. Uh, and, uh, and at one point in Deuteronomy 23, the Israelites are coming up out of slavery and they go through Edom. And, and they are very much commanded to not attack, to not fight them. And he says, do not despise an Edomite because he is your brother. You know, there's still that recognition, recognition that there is a, a connection there between them. Uh, so the rejecting, the hating, the spurning is really in regard to uh, being in the line of those who bear the promise. All right, anything else on, on that before we press forward a little bit here? All right, then Romans 9, 14 through 18 says this. What should we say then? Is there injustice with God? Absolutely not. For he tells Moses, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. For the scripture tells Pharaoh, I raised you up for this reason so that I may display my power in you and that my name may be proclaimed in the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he, has, he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. I don't know, do any of you find those words comforting? Not particularly. 
And I think that this is one of the hard things about the faith, um, but I also think that it's one of these times where it is really important to know our B.C. scriptures. And look at what are the contexts of these two quotes from the Old Testament B.C. scriptures um, that are, are there for us. This first line, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. You kind of get the impression that this is being spoken about Pharaoh because of what's being said right there. It isn't about Pharaoh. It's about Moses. Uh, in fact, Exodus 33 is Moses receiving the Ten Commandments on uh, uh, Mount Sinai, and he makes this bold request. God, I want to see you. And, uh, and God's like, uh, do you want to die? No one can see me and live. And, and, you know, Moses said to the Lord, please let me see your glory. The Lord said to Moses, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim the name the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And he added, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. How often are there songs that say, Lord, I want to see your glory? As opposed to, Lord, I want to see your goodness. I think maybe uh, we, we get this a little bit uh, mixed up in our minds. You know, no glory, we'll get to see that eventually. But for now, you know, may, just let me see your goodness. You know, let me, let me see your good gifts and, and your kindness and your mercy. Do you have any thoughts? Nope. Why God doesn't want us to see him, or is it we can't see him as a physical being, but we can see him as a spiritual being? But I wonder, is it just we would be overwhelmed? We... Yeah, I, I look at uh, um, Isaiah. Isaiah sees the Lord in the temple. He comes in and it's just filled with smoke. And so, you know, he's not actually seeing God. He's seeing him filtered, right? Um, and, uh, and there's the angels and they're crying out, you know, holy, holy, holy. Um, and this, this whole uh, idea of holiness is, is central behind this uh, idea of why we can't see God. The word holy, uh, it, it comes from the, the word to cut, um, and it means separated. And in the, in the sense of when we talk about God, you know, we are cut off from him because he is sinless. And this is the damage that sin does to us. It leaves us where we cannot be in his presence. And so when Isaiah sees God, he says, woe is me. Which in, in a good kind of vernacular type of translation might be something along the lines of, oh my, I'm dead. You know, and he says, you know, I, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips. And uh, God is right there. And then, you know, the angel touches his lips with the coals. You know, fear not. This has touched your lips. Your sins are forgiven. And it's the sin that separates. And so, you know, to see God in, in his glory is to be destroyed. 
because to see his glory is to experience his full, the full blast of his holiness. And frankly, this is what's at the heart of the incarnation, right? Jesus empties himself of his glory to become human. He sets that aside so that, as it says in John chapter 1, you know, that he is able to speak this word, to be the word that comes to us. So the, the, the whole issue is really about God's holiness and us not being able to be there because to see him is to die. It's to experience the full brunt of his judgment. There's another part. I'm trying, I might also be in Isaiah, but I don't know. In the year the King Uzziah died. Yep. That's that same passage I was just referencing. I have seen yeah. And then the angel goes and gets a, a, lump, a yep. live coal and puts it on his lips. Yeah. So, and in that, it's, it, it is our sin which causes us to die if we see God. And if the sin is taken away, then we're able to see God. Right, but here, here's the thing. Um, in, in terms of, you know, is, is sin something that we do? Is it something that we are? Well, yeah. You know, and so for that, it, it's like ore. Yeah. You know, the ore has to be, you know, burned in order to get to the, the silver or the, yeah. you know. Um, and, uh, and so that's the same thing with us. Because of our, our sin, you know, we have to, you know, in a sense, Dirty be lips. burned. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and fire throughout the, the scriptures is not a symbol so much of destruction as it is of purification. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's uh, another uncomfortable thought. Um, Most of the time, we as people can't actually look at the fact about saying who we are and how bad we are and how much we deserve to be wiped out. We think that we're good enough. Yeah. How, how dare God think just can't have anything to do with us. Right. We really think we're pretty good stuff. Yeah, and, you know, and, and that is, um, at, at some point here, we're going to get to this, this idea of um, you know, being objects of wrath and recipients of mercy and, and uh, um, not really understanding you know, that our relationship with God as our creator um, and, and as a, a fallen and broken person it's uh, um, we always want to have this thing that we think that we offer something, you know, and and this is part of why this is so uncomfortable, is because he's very much saying, you got nothing, you know. So he's talking, you know, to these Gentile believers, you know, and and he's first saying, first of all, you know, there's Israel and then there's Israel. There's these you know, people that are God's chosen people by their ancestry. But then there are the descendants of Abraham who are such by faith. And those are the true Israel. And he's going to continue with this theme. And at some point he's going to say, so you think you're great because Israel, you know, some of these people were cut off from the vine and you were grafted in? Yeah. Huh. How about a little bit of humility at how blessed you've been? And by the way, that probably should have applied to Israel in the bc scriptures as well not like hey look at us we're god's chosen people but wow look at us the way that god has had mercy on us you know so that the relationship is not about anything that we bring to it but it's all about what what god is doing and i think that that's part of the problem with moses here too is you know he's been serving god in these amazing ways and, and there's this sense of you know i really 
you know, I'm your representative. You know, and I, w- I would like to see you. I'd like to see your glory. And God's like, time out, time out. You know, the very fact that you are my, you know, representative is completely about my mercy, completely about my choosing. Because remember, um, remember Moses' history. You know, he was saved as a baby, drawn from the water, brought into Pharaoh's household. At the age of 40, he becomes a murderer, kills an Egyptian. He has to run away. He's living in Midian as a shepherd, right? He goes from being literally the prince of Egypt to a shepherd out in the fields. And then all of a sudden there's this bush that's burning over there, but it's not being consumed. Huh, I better go check that out. At no point does it say, like, you know, Moses was this really pious guy, and he's like, you know, I'm just really studying, trying to figure out who God is so that I can go back and lead my people out of... And and in fact, even at the burning bush, he's like, yeah, no, not me. I can't speak. I love that. You know, I, 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 I'm not a good speaker, God. You know, like God doesn't know. And, and he literally asks the question, who do you think made your mouth? And he says, all right, you can't speak. You know who can? Aaron, your brother. And uh, he's going to be like your prophet, and you're going to be my representative. You know, and, you know, and just constantly, no, no, no. You know, talk about being chosen for the job. He's actually being pushed into the job. And, and all, through his, you know, all through his life and all through his ministry, it's all about what God is doing. In fact, do you remember how Moses died? Did he make it to the promised land? He did not. Why? Do you remember? How did he disobey God? Nope, not breaking the tablets. And which looks more impressive? Mr. Rock, would you please offer some water to the people? Or bring forth water, wham! And so it's still, and God says, oh, guess what, bud? You're not going to the promised land now. Now, is Moses saved in heaven and all of Yeah, absolutely. But it ain't because he was so perfect. And that's what Paul was just hammering on. That it's not about our performance. It's, it's about you know, God's mercy. It's about God's choosing. It's about God's kindness. And for those of us who have received this faith, these are words that are intended for your comfort. And it's really because of our, um, our individualism and, and our sense of, I have to contribute something to this, that these words then become, well, wait a minute. I'm not comfortable with this because there are all these, and it's not fair. Do you know what's not fair? For God to do anything good for us at all. Exactly. For you to receive God's mercy. That's not fair. To go to heaven, that's not fair. To have resurrected, not, not fair. I mean, we confess that week after week. I am by nature sinful and unclean. What does sin 
deserve death, separation. That's, that's the deserve. And it's actually going to get to this point um, where it's like, who are you to judge God? And again, I don't like hearing this stuff. It makes me uncomfortable. But I really do think that this is intended to be uh, the message of people, look at how much mercy God has poured out on you. Whether it's Moses, whether it, it you know, whomever else. So, um, this first account, it's, it's, it's Moses, and, uh, you know, and, and does God let him see his goodness? Yeah. And do you remember what happened to Moses after he saw God's goodness? His face glowed. So even just the experience of God's goodness passing by, it, it, it just impacted him. So, you know, if God's glory obliterates, then his goodness, you know, it gives life and light. And Moses is separated from the people and he wears his veil when he would come out and speak to people because I don't know about you, but I'd be pretty freaked, that freaked out if somebody came and like their face was glowing. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing. So that, that first passage, you know, it, it, it's not about Pharaoh. It's, it's about Moses and, and how he is having compassion on him by allowing him to see his goodness. And the second passage is about Pharaoh. But it sounds, I mean, I'm not trying to soften this. Um, but when you read the context that this comes from, uh, it's like, okay, yeah, this idea that, that, that God raised up Pharaoh, that his name would be proclaimed in the whole world. Check out what it says. It says, uh, the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. For this time, I am about to send all my plagues against you, your officials and your people. Then you will know that there is no one like me on the whole earth. Do we have a commandment that speaks about no one being like God in the whole earth? You know, they haven't been given yet, you know, here in Exodus chapter 9. That's Exodus 20. But the sense that God is God and you are not, you know, is throughout the, you know, the, the, the scriptures. Uh, verse 15. By now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague and you would have been obliterated from the earth. However, I've let you live for this purpose, to show you my power and to make my name known on the whole earth. You are still acting arrogantly against my people by not letting them go. Now, if somebody said that the reason that uh, you know, God put Pharaoh on the earth was so that people would see his power and his name would be made known. Just, just hold that part right there. Don't know anything about the plagues. <coughs> Couldn't you say pretty much the same thing about any of the prophets? That the prophets were chosen to show God's power and to make his name known? So part of the issue here is, is how is this approached? You know, in fact, couldn't you say that this is partly about you? That God displays his power and makes his name known through you? 
The question becomes, you know, whether this is something that's done in faith or, as it says here, that you are still acting arrogantly against me. You know, this that is a first real battle of religions, actually. Big battle of religions. This is almost like uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. It um, is. Because these words that he says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh probably thinks of himself. My name will be known throughout the whole world. Um, all of this. I mean, he was the center of a religion. Yes. And here is something coming right back at him. Yeah. Yeah, and when you look at each of the plagues, they are all directed at part of the, the pantheon of, of Egypt. You know, you can, you know, the Nile was considered to be a god, and there was a deity that was connected to it. You know, there's a, a frog-headed god, you know, all the way up yeah. until you get to Pharaoh himself, who is God on earth. And so that religious aspect is really important. But what often gets lost is... Um, do we not sometimes feel that we are our gods? And, and so we look at Pharaoh and we're like, oh, that jerk, how could he have messed that up? Now, did he take it to a different degree? <laughs> You're going to worship me. Yeah, he took it to a different degree. Um, but that's kind of the point. That God does reveal his power and he does make his name known. And for people who receive that, that's life. Yeah. That's salvation. But if you set your, you know, if you're set against it, it's death and condemnation. Yeah. Ed. Well, it's just there's all this stuff in there about, but God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and mm -hmm. I was thinking, like, what's a poor Pharaoh to do? Yeah. And and fair enough, right? Yeah. But are we that different? No. no. Right. And so how do you respond to that? Well, that's not fair or, wow, thank you that I did not go that way and I have received mercy. Yeah. And I, I, I still think that's where he's driving us, that, that, that this is your story. Mm -hmm. It's not Pharaoh's story. It's your story. And Pharaoh is the cautionary tale. But, you know, you're not that. You are Israel. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that part of this goes to what we assume about the human condition. Uh, there was a movie that came out. I, I think this was when our kids were little. All dogs go to heaven, right? Have you heard of that? Yeah. Um, but what about people? Where do all people deserve to go? And so that any of us are saved is an incredible mercy and an incredible kindness. And to understand the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, I think we have to go back to Romans chapter 1, um, verses 18 through 32, where, where God basically says, I let you have what you wanted. You put yourself up as God in your own life. You know, and yeah. I let you have it. There's another piece, and it just echoes in my mind. I don't know if I could justify it, but in Lent, there's a psalm, I think a penitential psalm, okay. to use. It has this 
Against thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou might be justified in your sayings. Yeah. And it's like they're trying to jump the gun on this whole thing. It, and it just, it just impresses me as the lamest excuse in the world. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I wasn't doing this because it felt good or anything like that. I just wanted to give you something to judge against. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, God does use our, our sin as a uh, right. you know, statement he, against our judgment. We don't. No. We don't decide. I'm, I'm, I'm really doing this for God's benefits. <laughs> right. Uh, I think it's a little bit more of, you know, against you only have I sinned. Um, and the consequence of that is that he is seen as righteous. Not because, you know, I chose that you could do this, but, you know, yeah. that's just the natural result of that. I, I have to look a little bit more closely at this. All right, so we are right at time. So I'm going to take us just a little bit longer here. Um, uh, you will say to me, therefore, uh, why does he find fault? Who will resist his will? On the contrary, human being, uh, who are you to talk back to God? You know, so that's what I was mentioning before. And there's this bit about um, a potter and clay. That is an Old Testament BC scriptures um, uh, reference as well. Jeremiah chapter 18, I encourage you to look that up later. Um, and then uh, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8. Yet, Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, you are the potter, we are the work of your hands. Um, and this idea of a potter who gets his hands into the clay, um, it, it, this, is, this is creation imagery. And so when we read Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, um, the, man, or the Lord God formed the man out of dust of the ground. So we, instead of clay, you've got God working in dust, but the name man. Do you know what that word is in Hebrew? It's Adam. And the name Adam means clay. Or earth. You know, um, and, and so this, this, this is a, a creator-creature dynamic. And again, it's pointing out that we mix up the first commandment. Um, and uh, you know, we try to put ourselves above God. And then he continues, he says, And what if God, wanting to display his wrath and make his power known, endured with much patience objects of wrath prepared for destruction? In other words, he's doing this in order to bring salvation. And so... Um, objects of wrath and recipients of mercy. Paul goes into this in greater detail in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And I, I would put that before you as, a, you know, check that out later. Um, and then in verse 24, he says, you know, he talks about this, this mercy coming to us, the ones he also called not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. And I use this phrase a lot. He is telling you your story. And this is intended to be your comfort. So, um, think about that and maybe at some point today have a conversation with somebody in your family about something that uh, was meaningful, something that was helpful, um, something that got your attention in here and uh, you know, chew on that a little bit more. And I encourage you to take a look at those passages. All right, let's go to church. Uh -huh.